I think it was 1864 during the Civil War that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation and that made all the, the slaves free legally. And then of course the, they finished the Civil War and the North won and so the laws that they had passed were the laws for the South. But it still was not good for the black people. Up until the time, I was born in 58 and I think up until that time there were still separate water fountains and uh, certain restaurants that black people couldn't go in, and it was, it was really bad. And so a lot of you probably heard of a, um, Martin Luther King Jr., who led the, the peace protests. And before him, just about the same time, was Rosa Parks that refused to give up her seat on the bus. But before Martin Luther King, before Rosa Parks, was Jackie Robinson. At that time, uh, you had the white Major League Baseball, teams and then you had what was called the Negro teams and the blacks did not play with the whites because prejudice was still extremely strong in the United States and then the general manager for uh, the Dodgers his name was Branch Branch Rickley if I wrote it down right he approached Jackie Robinson because Jack, Jackie Robinson was the black player in the Negro team and he was very good and uh, Branch he was a Methodist and he wanted to integrate uh, the Major League Baseball teams. He didn't believe in, in all this that was going on. And so he approached Jackie Robinson. Now Branch knew that he was gonna be going against all of everyone, just about, the norm in the United States. So he told Jackie, he said, what I need, he said, this is gonna be hard, and if we're gonna do this, you, you're gonna uh, get a lot of hatred, they're going to mistreat you, they're going to be really bad to you, but you've got to stand up to them and turn the other cheek. And Jackie asked him, he said, are you looking for someone who won't fight back? And Branch said, I'm looking for someone who's got the guts to not fight back. Because he knew that if Jackie got on the team, and then there were fights and brawls out there, and, and Jackie uh, was treating them like they were treating him, then everyone would say, look, that's why we have separate teams. We shouldn't have done that. And they would, they'd be on Branch, they'd be on Jackie, but that's not what happened. Jackie turned the other cheek. A lot of times the next few years where he was on his knees praying to God for the strength to turn the other cheek. When they would slide into the base that Jackie was on, they would put their cleats up in him and, and gash his legs. They would spit on him. Uh, they called him all sorts of names. In fact, there was one guy, I forgot his name, that on the other team, and he was yelling things, that Jackie from the other dugout, he was yelling things that everybody could hear. And this one man did more than anything to unite the Dodgers team uh, around Jackie because they saw how other people were treating him. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is turning the other cheek. We all know... We've heard that all our lives about turning the other cheek. And I want to talk about four situations that you and I will find ourselves in where we'll need to turn the other cheek. And I want to point out, used to I was very naive and I thought that Christians could not carry guns. I wanted to be a police officer, maybe FBI, Secret Service. And I decided against that because I thought that I couldn't carry a gun. Well, as I got older, I began to understand the relationship between government, government law in God's law. And I want to point out, I don't want to get off on a whole other topic, but when the Bible says to turn the other cheek, what that's referring to is when someone slaps you on the cheek. 
getting slapped on the cheek is not a life or death situation. Jesus doesn't require us to be naive. He doesn't require us to let people run over us. But when someone slaps you, that's a pride issue. They're doing that to humiliate you and to show that they're bigger and stronger than you are and there's nothing you can do about it. So when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, he's not talking about life or death situations. He's talking about issues of pride. And so I want to talk about four situations this morning. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about masters being obedient or servants being obedient to their masters. And he says, not with eye service, but doing the goodwill of the heart. But Peter takes this a step further in 1 Peter. If you want to put a bookmark there, we'll stay in 1 Peter, the whole, this whole lesson. In 1 Peter chapter, let's see here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Let's see. Peter says the same thing Paul does. He says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. But Peter adds, Not only to the good and gentle, but to the harsh. Now it's easy for us to be a good worker when we've got a good boss. I can, I've got a boss that when I worked at the hospital, the last job I had before we moved here from Lubbock, he was the best man I ever worked for. And that's, I've been gone from Lubbock since 1995, so it's 28 years. If I got a phone call from him this morning saying he needed something, I would say, Tom, I'll get there as soon as I can, because he was a good boss. And we've all had good bosses, but then we've also had bad bosses. And Peter says here that you need to be a good worker, that you need to be submissive, you need to do the right thing, even if your boss is not a good person. Now, Melissa, my daughter Melissa, introduced me to a, a saying. She said, you're not a tree. Do something about it. And a lot of times we can get a better job. But there's a lot of times we can't. Maybe uh, we've got a college course and we've got a professor that's just horrendous. Uh, maybe, you know, we've had a job for a long time. We've just got a few years till retirement. We've got kids at home. We've got to support kids in college. And then some man gets promoted above us who's just a horrible boss. And we just, we could, but we're not in a good position to quit. And so there'll be times in life where we're in a situation, and a job is usually that situation, where we can't do anything about it. And Peter says, just like everyone else in the New Testament says, you need to do the right thing no matter how people are treating you. Um, Martin Luther King said, and I looked up one saying by him and found quite a few because he believed in doing things peacefully. He said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenges and controversy. Now, if you've got a, bad, uh, a good boss, it's easy for everyone to be a good worker and love the boss and lots of teamwork. But when you've got a bad boss, that's when people are going to find out what, what you're made out of. It's easy to be good when you're treated good. It's hard to be good when you're treated bad. Occasionally, we'll get a boss, we'll run into somebody who's just an evil person. There's just nothing good about them. They want to be bad. They, they like to be bad. But more often than not, what happens is what happened to me. I never wanted to own my own business. 
but I started doing swimming pools part-time when I was a fireman, and then, then I left the fire department, and I worked by myself, and I supported myself doing swimming pools. But then I got more customers, and I needed help, so I hired a young guy, which I didn't want to do, because I didn't want to manage people. I didn't want to be in charge of taxes and stuff. And so I hired this guy, and I was used to doing stuff my way, doing it the right way, and not having to wait on anyone, and now all of a sudden I've got someone that I've got to train, someone who was just out of high school. He didn't know what I knew. He didn't have the experience I had. He wasn't even a good worker because, I mean, it was only the second job he'd ever had in his life. And I would get impatient and frustrated with him. And I'm not a morning person. And so I would get up and I would just, he would meet me in my house first, and I would just be grumpy to him. And one day I realized how I was treating him and it hit me. I said, you know, I was not a good dad to my kids, but if I'm not a good boss to Wesley, he can just up and leave. And come to find out a few years later, uh, about the time John came on board, Wesley had printed up business cards and was going around talking to people, and he was just about to leave. <laughs> but John saved the day. But maybe your boss is the same way. Maybe he doesn't want to be a boss. Maybe your boss goes home every day to a wife that nags him and criticizes him and yells at him. Maybe he's got an alcoholic wife. Maybe he's got a, a daughter that's uh, run away and is pregnant and is on drugs. Life is hard for you. Life is hard for other people too. You know, like us talking about me not wanting to be, I had never been a boss before. No one had told me how to do it and I was doing the best I could. And I'm sure when I look back at the jobs I've had, I'm sure a lot of the bosses that I didn't like just didn't know how to do it. We go to college and we get a degree in engineering or teaching or, or whatever, but they don't often teach us how to manage people. And that's a hard thing. Just because you're a good mechanic doesn't mean you're a good people manager. And maybe your boss is struggling to be a good manager. Now just think, what if your boss had good employees that listened to him and cooperated and uh, did a good job and were easy to get along with? Do you think maybe your boss would be a better person? It's not our job when we're in a tough situation to change the other person. I can't even change me, and I'm sure not going to change someone else, and it's sure not our job to change our boss. He's in charge of himself. And our job, like Peter says, is we need to go in and we need to be a good worker and we need to be submissive. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 says, Having compassion on one another. One of my favorite verses is where the Bible says that Jesus looked out at the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were as with a sheep without a shepherd. Maybe your boss doesn't have anyone to tell him how to be a good boss. Can you have compassion on him while he's struggling with this? 1 Peter 3 verse 9 says, Not returning evil for evil. Your boss calls you in office and yells at you and you leave and you're all mad. You say, well, I'll show him. And then you do something to, in your mind, get back at him later. And Did that make the situation better? Is your boss a better boss now because you came in late or because you smarted off to him or because you went out to the coffee room and complained to him to the other, all the other employees? The Bible says not returning evil for evil, but on the contrary, blessing. When someone does something bad to you, we need to do something good for them. Jesus 
Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. I've talked about the, the lyrics from a pop song in the 70s. It said, your mother never cared for me, but did she ever say a prayer for me? We're quick to, to badmouth people. What about instead of badmouthing, we prayed for them? Peter says in chapter 3 and verse 9, knowing that you were called to this. When you became a Christian, God says, you be holy just as I'm holy. We're going to sing a song in a little while called Holy, Holy, Holy. And it talks about how great and majestic in God is. What a, a wonderful God he is. And God says, you be the same way. You were called to this. And so when we're in a, in a tough situation at work, we need to figure out how to let our light shine. You know, I talked about Jackie Robinson a while ago. If he'd gone out there and gotten fights and spit on other people, nobody would have liked him. But now he's a hero. And you can be the same way. You've got a tough situation. Nobody likes the boss. If you go in there and show people how a Christian handles situations, your fellow employees will respect you. And maybe they'll be better workers, and then maybe the whole situation at work will change. It's not our job to fight back. Jesus says, don't resist evil. Another place where we've got to turn the other cheek is also in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, Peter, Peter has been talking about other situations where we've got to be submissive. And he says, likewise, you wives... Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct, chaste means clean or spotless, when they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear. Peter says, don't let your beauty be that outward adorning of the ranging of hair, of wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, I guess this will be my disclaimer before I talk, talk about wives. But the man is the head of the house, the head of the wife. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, for all you men, that does, that's not a right that we have. That's a responsibility. When I became a boss over Wesley, I had a responsibility to treat him right. To be the head of the house does not mean you get to shout and bark orders and everyone's got to jump at your command. If you ever saw the sound of music, the, the retired Navy uh, captain would blow the whistle and all his kids would come in and line up. That's not a Christian dad. So while I'm talking about the wives, don't you husbands be nudging your wife. Just like a job... Sometimes, well not sometimes, all the times, wives are in a difficult situation. Husband and wife butt heads, they've got different ideas about how to do something, and something, someone's going to win or come out on top. The, the, Peter says that the wives are supposed to be in subjection. And not just to the good husbands, to the bad husbands also, which is a warning to the single women. I remember a girl told me one time, she says, when you, when you find your soulmate, why not get married? 
because your soulmate's not perfect and you need to find out how he really is because you may find out some things later that you're not going to like. And God says that he's the head of you and you've got to be in submission to him. So you need to make sure you pick out somebody that you can be in submission to. A word about submission. If you agree on something, that's not submission. If your husband says, um, let's, let's, we're going to buy a new house, move to a new neighborhood, and you say, yes, that's a great idea. You're not in, in submission to your husband. Here's what submission is. Submission is when you say, honey, I think we need a bigger house. We've got more kids now, and this one's getting old, and the neighborhood's going down. We need to maybe look at buying a bigger house. And your husband says, nope, we're not going to do it. That's submission. When you don't want to do what, what he said or what's come up. Have you ever, one of the things that Peter talks about here is when the husband sees the good conduct of his wife, even if he won't listen to the preacher, even if he won't listen to the Bible, even if he won't listen to someone that does a Bible study with him, he sees what a good person you are. And he's impressed. And you and I know lots and lots and lots of stories, probably right here in this building, where the wife was a Christian, the husband was not, the husband may have even been a scoundrel, but here you are now, you're a Christian because of your good wife. I've seen it with my kids, I've seen it with other people's kids. The church in Gunner is as big as it is because so many of the girls went out and married young men and then converted them. And that's what being a good example will do. Have you ever heard a man that says, man, I used to go out and drink and party with my friends and everything. I was a scoundrel. But then my wife, she just nagged and nagged and nagged and fussed and I got converted. That's not what, that's not what converts people. It's that gentle and quiet spirit. It's that clean and spotless way of, of living that's going to convert someone. Another thing I ran across Martin Luther King says, he said, now there's a final reason, I think, that Jesus says, love your enemies. It's this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there's a power that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them. And they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They, they react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little bit more at that transition period. But just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It's redemptive, and this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. When you're, when you rise, when you're in that tough situation, that tough marriage, and you, you're thinking to yourself, things couldn't get any worse, Jesus, Peter, Paul, they all say you do the right thing no matter what other people are doing and then, and then pray for the best another area which fortunately we Christians don't have to suffer too much in the United States is persecution uh, although we've got brothers and sisters in Nigeria and India that this is a, a constant problem for them 1 Peter 4 in verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. 
but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. For if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Peter says uh, the fiery trial which is going to come upon you. Nero became Caesar, I guess shortly after the time of Christ, and for one reason or another, Rome caught on fire, and it was on fire for about six or seven days, and most of Rome was destroyed. A lot of people said that Nero had set the fire, uh, started the fire for whatever reason, so he was getting all the blame. So to defect, deflect the blame, Nero blamed the Christians. And this horrible persecution started with the Christians. Sometimes they would be put on a, a spike and, and covered in tar and then at nighttime and then set on fire and be burned to death. Other times they would be wrapped in maybe an animal skin, you know, tied to them, and then they would be thrown to, to wild dogs that would, would tear these Christians to pieces. And this went on for a long time. And, uh, and we, like I said, we've got Christian brothers and sisters in India, North Korea, uh, Iran, all sorts of places where, where they're killed and, and persecuted maybe by their religions. And that's a real thing for people. Jesus said at one time, the servant is not above the master. If they treated me this way, the same thing's going to happen to you. And this is another situation where no matter what people are doing to us, we've got to do the right thing. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before God. No matter what happens, we can't deny him. We've got to remain strong. And then the fourth area, which is related to this that I want to talk about, is our enemies. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's what it, that's a direct quote out of the Old Testament. If someone literally lost an eye, if uh, uh, someone's got a brother in here, if your brother got his eye put out, it would be your right to go find the guy that did it and put his eye out. If your brother's hand got cut off, you could go find the guy that did it and cut his hand off. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's Old Testament law. And if any of you are old enough to remember the Dirty Harry movies with Clint Eastwood and, and the Die Hard movies, you know, where the good guy wins, <laughs> I love those movies more than anyone. I hate to see criminals do things and then get away with it. I love to see the bad guy get caught and punished. But that's not our job. Jesus told Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then my servants would fight that I should be delivered. We fight a spiritual battle. Our battle here is not to get even with people. It's not an eye for an eye. Jesus says, But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Go, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. In Proverbs 24 and verse 29, Jesus or Solomon said, Do not say, I will do to him just as he did to me. You're driving in traffic and you're minding your own business. you got a safe distance between you and someone else and they cut you off. What's, what do you want to do? You want to speed up and cut them off. Say, see, how do you like that? 
did you ever, were you ever in a road rage incident where someone was ah, duh, and waved at you and said, I'm sorry? Of course not. It just escalates. There was an incident in Sherman a few weeks ago between a motorcyclist and, a, and a, just a small car. And according to what I heard, the motorcyclist trying to get away, the, the small car drove up over the curb onto the grass and pinned the motorcyclist against the back of the, the auto zone. You think that motorcyclist said, dumb me, I should have been nicer to him. Of course not. He just escalated until someone, I don't know if he got killed or not, he may have. Um, another thing that Martin Luther King says is that darkness cannot drive out darkness. If you're in a dark house, the only way to make it light is turn on the light switch. Martin Luther King says hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. Now it's easy for you and me to sit here in church and say, yeah, turn the other cheek and, and love, your, love your enemies and pray for them and bless them. But I tell you what, my family has found out that when you've got someone that's lying about you, it's calling the police on you, calling CPS on you, and telling them lies about uh, how you raise your kids or whatever. Until you've had someone get up in court and perjure themselves and lie about you, and they believe him, you have no proof that he was wrong, it's easy to sit here and say, love your enemies, and don't do the eye for eye thing. It's really hard when that's really happening to you. It's, it's really hard. Sometimes it'll be uh, just an acquaintance. Sometimes, sometimes you'll have someone at work that you're a good worker and he's lazy or dishonest and you're making him look bad. And so now he's going to set out to make you look bad. And there you are minding your own business, being a good worker, and you, you go to work and you got to watch your back. You can't even do your job. you got to watch your back because someone is out to get you. Sometimes it's a fellow Christian. You know, there's people here in church that can tell stories for, for whatever reason. Someone that you go to church with became your enemy and set out to destroy your life. And that is tough. Pat Manning told me years ago, or I heard him saying a lesson. You know, Jesus says that we're supposed to pray, Father, uh, forgive us of our sins as we forgive our enemies. Pat said, if you want to learn how to forgive someone, when you pray, take that person that you hate or that hates you, and instead of saying, Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive my enemies, pray this. Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive Mario. Put his name in there. Father, forgive me of my sins, but only as far as is I'm willing to forgive Yancey. And I'll tell you what, you go home and try that tonight, today. You think of someone that hates you or someone that you just cannot stand to hear their name mentioned. And you try to say that. Say, Father, forgive me of my sins as I for forgive. It's hard. It really is. I mean, if you've got enough hatred in your heart, it's hard to say that name. But do it. And it'll be hard for a while. But then after a while, you get to thinking. I mean, he didn't kill me. I mean, 
What he did wasn't that bad. And you know why? Because when we're wrong, we want justice. Somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to right this wrong. But when we're in the wrong, that's when we want mercy. You see someone speed past you at 100 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, say, well, I hope the cops get him. Well, 30 minutes later, you're going 10 or 15 miles over the speed limit either because you didn't see the sign, not paying attention, or maybe other reasons. And the cop pulls you over. You want to take it then? No, that's when you want the mercy. And so that's the way we need to treat our enemies. Martin Luther King says that, that uh, hatred won't drive out hatred, only love will. And you know, there are some people like Hitler, for example, that are just evil. You cannot love them enough that you're going to convert them. But you know what? If you're not going to convert them with love, you're not going to convert them with hatred, you're not going to convert them with a gun. If there's any hope of converting someone, it's through love. So, we've talked about marriage, talked about work, talked about persecution, We've talked about having enemies. What are the benefits of being this kind of person? In 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, it says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. God will be glorified remember what happened in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus was killed on the cross and then when he died there were earthquakes and everything what if Jesus had gone to the cross and, and, and yelled curses and, and, and stuff from the cross and said these Romans are going to die these are horrible people they're killing an innocent man you know how Jesus went he went as a sheep before the slaughter and when he died the centurion and the soldiers with him who were keeping guard They'd seen lots of criminals put to death. They'd seen murderers put to death, rapists put to death. I don't know. They'd seen a lot of evil people put to death. And Jesus was just one more man. But Jesus didn't act like other people. And when Jesus died on the cross, um, The centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened. They feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. When we, when we are holy, God will receive glory. 1 Peter 2 and verse 15 talks about putting our enemies to sh- uh, silence. They see our good works and, and there's nothing they can say. There's a verse in Luke where Jesus talked to the people and, and all the scribes and Pharisees that were his enemies that were trying to condemn him and, and do him harm. They left. They were silent. There was nothing else that they could say. 1 Peter 4 and verse 8 says that love will cover a multitude of sins. You know, we've got six kids and they're all married. We've got grandkids and some of you are aware of some of the stupid things our kids have done. And I guess that's probably true in your family. Now, we can all get together and say, 
man, Danielle, she was so stupid the other day. She shouldn't have done that, and they ought to know better. And, and Laura and John, and we can talk about all the dumb things Laura and John. And then there's Melissa, and then there's Elizabeth. And, or we cannot talk about those things. When we get together for the birthday parties for Christmas, where there's like 30 people there, and everyone's laughing and cutting up and having a good time. Love will cover the multitude of sins. Which would you rather have? A dysfunctional family or a loving family? A couple years, a few years ago, well, one of the things is the world will see the love of God through you. Several years ago, and I don't know all the details, but Al-Qaeda had captured seven, either seven or nine, I think it was seven men, and I think all of them were Christians except for one of them, and they were in orange jumpsuits, and they had them on the beach, and they were going to behead them, and I guess they were giving these men one last time to deny Christianity and say that Allah was God. But, but none of them did, and I guess they were beheaded one at a time, and they came to the last man who was not a Christian, and they said, who is the true God? Having witnessed these other six men, he said, their God is my God. By them, by them doing the right thing in the face of persecution and their enemies, this man was converted. Acts chapter 16 talks about the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas had been arrested. They'd been beaten, which means they'd been whipped on the back. They had open wounds. They were bleeding and extremely painful. And at midnight, they were in prison singing songs of praise to God. And the other prisoners heard them. And there was a great earthquake, and the chains fell off, and the doors were open, and the, the guard, or the, the prison keeper, ran in, and seeing what had happened, he knew that he was going to get killed, so he was going to kill himself. Paul said, don't do that. We're all here. He fell down and said, what must I do to be saved? First Peter 3 talks about wives, says them, the husband seeing your good way of life will be converted. By being this type of Christian, you will convert other people. I saw a bill the other day that said love and kindness are superpowers. Try them sometime. So as we go through this week, and you go to work, you deal with people, deal with your husband, your wife, your kids, there's two ways you can take it, and one way is going to make things better, and one way is not. Try love and kindness. We always sing a song of invitation. I'd like for you to think about things you've heard in your life and, and make a decision today to be a better person. We'll always stand and sing.